Welcome, everyone, to the Punisher podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. You said you want to be the guidance system, right? Well, this is what happens when the missile goes off. The Punisher podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 104, Resupply, is brought to you by Random Bad Guy Ride Rental. Don't be like Joe and always buy American. <laughs> well, Pete, here we are continuing with Punisher. And to me, I know I've said it before, but I marvel, no pun intended, at the, the really interesting contrast yet high quality between this and Runaways, which we are watching concurrently, which we are podcasting concurrently. That a bit lighter, this a bit darker, but uh, certainly similar explorations of the human condition. Definitely. We will be bringing you episode 103, the last of the first three initially dropped on Hulu of Runaways to the Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek tomorrow. That is Sunday, November 26th, as we steam along here. Well, Pete, let's jump into this episode of Punisher 104 Resupply. Our friend Turk Barrett opens the episode running guns and not doing it particularly well, not with the Punisher trying to track down guns for himself. Do you believe in God? Right now I do, says Turk Barrett. And for all his efforts, Frank is able to score a pink gun and no ammo, bringing it back to Micro's garage while the latter watches his family with a faint sense of connection. Micro is tasked with finding more weapons. The contrast between Micro and Frank is noted by the two of them. Micro is the unloaded gun, kept for show. Frank is the loaded gun, ready for action. Frank riles Micro by helping Micro's wife, Sarah, with a car insurance claim, you know, since she hit Frank and all, then stays in the house to help do some home repairs. Is this Frank's leverage over Micro or something more? Elsewhere, Madani uh, is brought up to speed about the Greeks running guns and gets a vote of confidence from Rafi, an old mentor, who reminds her to toe the line and ignore the investigations into the deaths of Wolf and Ahmed Zubair. Micro also hears of this gun buy, thinking that it'll be perfect for Frank to get those guns. They do need supplies ahead of time, though. Frank breaks up a fancy car chop shop in spectacularly violent fashion, taking the Mustang, always by American. Micro is tasked with uh, playing a role in stealing the guns. It's time to be that man of action. The gun buy unfolds with Micro disrupting Homeland Security's radios, giving Frank a chance to steal the box truck holding the guns. With Micro now driving the truck, Frank hops in the Mustang, pursued by Madani in her own American muscle car. The two cars play a cat-and-mouse game of equals and are ready to play chicken, but Micro and his truck take out Madani. Frank pulls her from the wreckage, saving her, and they ID each other. In parallel to this, Lewis, the young soldier seen in previous episodes, cannot sleep under his own roof. He digs a foxhole in his backyard and longs for guns and freedom and a return to Afghanistan. Even Curtis can't get him out of the foxhole, but the prospect of a possible job at Anvil does. At the interview slash tryout, Russo eyes Lewis's leadership skills, but also notes the latter's frayed mental fuse, particularly after Curtis tells Russo about the backyard foxhole. Lewis leaves fuming. And with that, Pete, let's jump into the episode. Yeah, this was 
a very complex episode, particularly for this show. And, you know, the the lightness of, um, you know, reintroducing a rascal like Turk Barrett juxtaposed against the the mental spiral that uh, Lewis Wilson is in. Um, that's that's great television. This is a phenomenal episode. I said on Twitter last night, this may be the best episode of Marvel TV outside of the Agents of Hydra storyline on S.H.I.E.L.D. earlier this calendar year. And particularly looking at the construction of this episode, we we kind of sort of always want to see Frank doing things that we get a grim sense of pleasure out of. You know, if he's going to take out bad guys who are about to kill another guy, you know, from, from the safety of our armchair, we say, eh, no big deal. Um, and, and we get that. And we get this wonderful, wonderful car scene. One of the better action scenes that come to mind for certainly Marvel Netflix. And there have been many great fistfights and all that. But th that's a great action set piece, too. And the fun of it is made all the better by us seeing uh by us seeing lewis and his genuine pain this is a phenomenal actor playing him you really sense that he's he's at this tipping point and i don't take joy at the prospect of where he as a person is going to go but i think in terms of the show having a dialogue about that mindset and and ptsd and the post uh, service experience for veterans i think we're headed into an interesting place just not a particularly fun one with him and when curtis goes to see him in the foxhole and that's the olive branch trying to help him that lewis's father has come to him and explained to him what happened and and he's there to try to help talking to him about you know the possibility the very real possibility that he could wind up drowning in november in the tri-state area with the rain that we'll get before things you know get truly cold uh and and therefore even more dangerous uh about digging the the sump at the one end and the pamphlet that he got from the one uh other vet group member who you know has has a little bit of a of a chip on his shoulder um certainly placed there provocatively there have been times whether it's the agents of hydra storyline some stuff towards the end of inhumans there there have been times where i think the shows have asked us to have a little bit of a of a political conversation a little bit of a political dialogue however i'm not about to do that i would just like to observe in a very neutral sense i think that the show is looking at some of the unrest some of the feeling out of place that that um was in the air heading into the election of 2016 uh some of that sentiment that still remains i think that they are marrying that with the the post uh service experience that lewis is having and they're exploring that. I think that what's interesting is where Agents of Shield had a very, um, had a very particular point of view, and in humans perhaps less so because it was a less well-run show. So far, what we're seeing with Lewis, it's simultaneously something that causes us to be sympathetic and also fearful. So it's it's not that it's not that the show is saying 
he has bad politics. He's going to vote for the person you didn't vote for. Nor are they saying he has good politics. He's he you know you should vote for the person he he voted for. It's just exploring this mindset as it moves through the, these kind of dual dual aspects of how he's fitting into the world here at home and how he wants to fit into the world that he fought for when he was over there. Absolutely, and I think the way that they present the character it's not as if he's not offered opportunities to get help uh he was a member of a group here he's done something that's extraordinarily alarming behavior his father has reached out to a fellow vet to try to counsel him um and then even with the anvil recruitment and what goes on there are there hallmarks of leadership within him there are you know he's encouraging that one other dude who's not in uh the same type of physical shape to to get through the exercises and everything there but he's as curtis points out not the guy you want watching your six it's just a matter of time this guy needs professional help full-time professional help to get back and and that i think is what is the the most important dialogue that this show is having leave the leave the gun thing out of it okay um that's the most important dialogue because somebody who doesn't get that type of help with the access to firearms and now with an axe to grind against both curtis and billy russo and anvil um yeah, I think we can agree as far as the story is concerned, it's only a matter of time. Which brings me to the notion of really the only villain that we get a sense of in this episode. And I walked away from this episode saying, we are the villain. We, the people that made Lewis like this and didn't undo it. Yes, he in a, in a perfect world, he should be recognizing in this uh, you know, post-service part of his life that, that he needs the help. To me, I kind of walked away saying, how is it that we're not giving guys and gals like Lewis, how, how are they not receiving that help fully, properly? And I, I will admit, I do not know what the military discharge world is like. I know that there are VA hospitals out there that are, that are you know, very ably staffed and, and acting proactively. Um, but to me, I kind of walked away and said, all right, well, I don't really, I'm not... I'm never supposed to hate Frank Castle and I don't root against Madani, but you know, it, it kind of was neat, the whole chess game there. And I don't felt Billy Russo for having a, a private contractor security business. I also think it looks like he's running a clean ship in terms of you're not a good candidate. I don't fault Curtis. I don't really fault Lewis for not being able to get himself out of this. It's, it's we, the people who put him there. Yeah. And again, I think it's part of that very important cultural dialogue. We can't view Lewis as a villain. Um, the, the thing I will pivot on, I think that the way he's cast in this episode, director of Homeland Security, uh, I'm sorry, it's not, he's not director of Homeland Security. He's operations director, uh, Rafi Hernandez. Um, he comes across like a villain in urging Madani to just work her caseload and not investigate um, with what happened to Carson Wolf. 
Uh, I will certainly agree with that. And um, it was interesting. It's interesting thinking about how this episode, um, how this episode has come out in a world slightly different or a world discussing things that they weren't when they made it. I'm not suggesting that the show is trying to make Rafi out as someone who's inappropriate, a sexual harasser, that sort of thing. Certainly, I will take the show, I'll take the two characters at their at their word that this is a a um, a, a, a connection of um, you know mentorship and that sort of thing. But there was just this one moment where he looks her up and down. Hey, you look good. It's not a leering look at all, but just this this idea of here we are after all these these sexual harassment and sexual assault uh, scandals that have brought it more to the forefront where it's like, I'm immediately saying, Ooh, is it like, that's not good. That's not, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be shaking your hand. Hey, good to see you. That kind of thing. Um, does that, I, I don't know. We'll see where the episodes unfold. Perhaps he, perhaps he is a louse. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I would agree with you, Pete, that, that there's some clouds of suspicion over him. Well, Matt, not a bad guy per se, more of a theory Turk Barrett behind everything in the Marvel Netflix TV end of the universe. Turk Barrett needs his own show. As you yes. said on Twitter, it could yes. be, a, it doesn't need to be, you know, 13 episodes. It could be like a four episode thing. Um, I, I will write the pilot um, <laughs> and we will co show run it. Rob Morgan, uh, formerly at shadow flack, F L A K on Twitter has, has left Twitter or maybe I, that's part of the ruse here, Matt. Part of the ruse. Well, Pete, as we talk, I'm going to look to see if he is still active on Instagram where I know he was as of a few weeks ago. So time will tell, maybe he's out there. Maybe he's taking a little, little hiatus between all the work that he does for, uh, for Netflix between stranger things and uh, all the Marvel stuff. And it would be well-earned, but you think about him showing up on Daredevil, on Luke Cage, now in The Punisher here, and how we always so enjoy his presence. I think back to the Luke Cage appearance and, and being cornered in the uh, back room of a divey bar uh, up in Harlem and uh, getting covered with uh, beer out of a keg that uh, Luke has punched as he's threatening him for information. And he always lightens the mood, yet at the same time, he's he's always running with these bad guys, but never a bad guy himself. So, you know, that would be the pitch. This, this would be the Marvel Cinematic Universe's first comedic show and it would chronicle uh the adventures that turk has had around our heroes and running up against our bad guys always in that gray middle pete he is still on instagram in fact his last uh picture was a was a re-gram of uh somebody a, a cartoon bear watching punisher episode one <laughs> cartoon bear. frank kill everybody episode four <laughs> except turk barrett <laughs> so when we get done recording this i'm gonna i'm gonna post a picture on the fantastic geek instagram tagging shadow flack saying 
you know, love to see the Rob Morgan is in the episode, so on and so forth. Uh, the picture will be of your tweet, Pete. So yes. I think some confidence that Rob Morgan will see what you have to say about him. And always much love towards Rob Morgan and Turk Barrett. Absolutely. Matt, is Sarah hot for Frank slash Pete? Well, if there's anything I've learned hanging out with you, Pete, is that there's always plenty of people hot for Pete. But I think you mean within wow. this episode. Um, I think we're meant to have that little hint there. There's a really, really fantastic episode. Uh, episode, Fantastic moment in this episode where... Um, I think it's shortly before it's right around that that uh, garbage uh, disposal scene in the house where she is not able to keep eye contact with him. Um, Frank is able to to look at him uh, the entire time, but Sarah she's wonderfully chatty but isn't able to look at him. It's it's done in a two a two shot, so you see both of them at the same time. So we're not cutting up to close up of the eyes. She looks away. You know they're not overselling it. I don't even know if it was scripted, but it's just so wonderful because you sense Sarah's Sarah's um, unfamiliarity with what's going on, and and thankfully both you and I don't know what it's like to to be widowers. Um, here she is the widow it's not my place to tell anybody when when you're ready to open open yourself up to another relationship and if she is fine uh if we're if we're if we're exploring that narratively that certainly could be interesting if the actress is just throwing it out there and it never goes there in the script i think that's almost more interesting because she would be making a conscious acting choice separate from hey three episodes from now you have the smooch or whatever um but I, I, I love, I, I'm not even going to say the promise of it because I'm cognizant she has a husband who's alive and loves her and all that. But I, I love the inclusion of it narratively. Yeah. And given that she's having a hard time with her son, we've seen Frank Corral, Frank Jr., um, you know, in the in the flashback earlier in the season. And, um, you know, working with uh, the daughter there to, to help her with the garbage disposal and, and showing that, you know, he's around, he's available. Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with it the way that you left it. Like it it, it holds more promise never being explored, um, but that it's subtext and something that at least from her end, we may seem to root for. Uh, could certainly sow the seeds of discontent between um, Lieberman and Frank. Not exactly a theory here, just more of an observation that we have uh, we have a bunch of scenes packed together, uh, even excluding the Lewis stuff, where where we're looking at what it means to be American. We have Billy Russo. He has that great speech: "The government invested in you. What are you worth?" Um, you know, you can have the opportunity to fight for a living and this idea of, of being a part of something bigger as as initially defined by the government, now talking to people who are out of the service. Um, two scenes later, or, or a scene and a half later, after a quick dip into micro getting information on the gun buy, you have Madani and her really heartfelt monologue about being American, but being made to feel that she's otherwise. And then the aforementioned uh, bit here of Frank saying, when it comes to cars at least, always buy American. 
So what do you make of that, Pete, that we're, we're, we're viewing what it, mean, what it means to be American from these different slices? I was a little taken away from the, the message that we leave that chop shop scene with in the randomness of it. You know, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around, okay, there's a, a dude who has died. There's a guy who is gagged and is clearly in duress. Frank interrupts this. What was this? Are these the Greeks? I'm, I'm asking myself initially. And, and again, that is part of the question of people working both within and without this American framework. Um, Madani being of Middle Eastern descent, but having been born in the United States and, and trying to do the right and the good and the just thing. These Greeks who are a gang who are trying to offload these weapons. Let's throw Frank and uh, Lieberman in there as far as ripping off the bad guys. You know, that's an age old trope. Uh, people robbing criminals because who are the criminals going to go to? The cops, Department of Homeland Security. Oh, these guys stole our weapons. You have to track them down. That's not going to happen. Um, But I was just taken away from the narrative in the questions about that group with the cars. I agree it's a bit incongruous. I was okay with it just because – we know that there are, there are low level bad guys out there. And I think what, what, what's really impressive about that scene is how quickly, how quickly the, the writers make it clear that these are totally, totally bad guys. And in no way should we feel bad that they're, that all three of them uh, are about to die on screen. We see them wheelbarrowing away one guy. They're prepared to kill another guy. So again, there's this, constantly in every episode the show has to make people worse than frank's deeds to those people um so we kind of get that here um i don't know what that says about us ultimately pete that's like oh i feel so bad that madani's in a car crash i feel nothing for the fact that three you know uh, car thieves uh who killed a guy that they all got killed like maybe this is a big mirror back to us i don't know but i kind of liked I almost like that it, that it was incongruous. Quite frankly, Pete, I'm also the guy that complained, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, everything that we've ever seen ties back to something else. Here it's just a chop shop, some bad guys, some less bad guys take from the bad guys. How about the aspect here? They, they interrupt the guys. Um, they kill them. They're going to steal the cars. And can we just point out that Frank tells Micro not to puke in there? He's going to get DNA all over for the cops. Can, can we dispel that myth? There is no DNA in vomit. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Is that true? There is I... no DNA in vomit. Um. Well, Pete, for, for whatever it's worth, according to the New York Times, let's see, sh- shed cells can be found in vomit. So I don't know if that's enough. And I, I certainly don't know if, if the, I don't know if that's enough for them to for them to uh, connect it to a guy that is dead. Like, you know, are they going to run a DNA case and put it against the I think let, let's put it this way. All right. You really, really <laughs> have to go far to figure out somebody's identity based on a pile of puke. 
Okay. You're going to know what they ate <laughs> or, or have some idea. Okay. We're looking for a guy who had a cheesesteak. Um, you know, I, I, the night I finished my graduate school applications, uh, in Washington, DC, um, very late that night, it was in the morning, um, on our floor, someone did not get to the sink or the toilet and unswallowed the entirety of a pasta pizza all over the floor. It was a lake, Matt. Wow. And as you open the door, I had to brush my teeth here. Okay. And as you open the door, um, it was one of those doors you had to push open that wouldn't remain open. So I had to hold it open and then take a running leap to get over this lake of vomit. So uh, I know, uh, what the guy ate. I don't know who ate it. Um, and God bless the, the poor, uh, crime scene technician <laughs> that would have to get that and then get it to a lab and then run it through a centrifuge and find, you know, two uh, skin cells in there or what have you to identify somebody. So whatevs. Yeah, you're you're going to have a far, uh, you know, better chance of getting some hairs or some other stuff rather than analyzing somebody sick. Well, Pete, on that pleasant note, here's a question for you. We, the episode ends obviously with Madani having uh, – She's got to have some sense of thanks towards Frank for pulling her out of the car. Right. Uh, but also now she, the the person who will not be swayed from doing what is right and what is just, she knows Frank Castle is alive. Surely we're on a collision course here, right? I think you have to be. And again, it's it's the smart route as far as story. They've been at odds now. She's seen him do a good thing. Uh, albeit they were going to car joust there if micro hadn't intervened and finally gotten his hands dirty. Um, but she will be his, uh, cheerleader as far as, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be the Punisher was here. We're going to link this back to him. He stole these guns. It fits the MO and she will be that devil's advocate to say, well, do we, do we know he doesn't have some need or some misguided sense of justice to need these weapons. Um, Vis-a-vis that, Matt, and and the way we leave off with him in this episode, Lewis Wilson leaving Anvil in a huff, uh, an axe to grind against both Billy Russo and Curtis, um, what will he do next? I think very clearly we are we – are prepared to go on a on a dive into darkness with uh with lewis here um the 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 pull towards guns the desire to make a name for himself i think that we're going to see him him turning bad here um it's it, it, it's such a captivating job that actor daniel weber does with uh with lewis just want to point out, by the way, Pete, his uh, his other most famous role uh, was playing Lee Harvey Oswald in uh, 11-22-63, the Hulu Wow, Jones. really? So, <laughs> um, but Pete, in case you think he's only known for bad stuff, he, in Australia, attended Greenpoint Christian College and uh, was a trampolinist who performed at the 2000 Summer Olympics closing ceremony as a wee lad. 
So a trampolinist with the, the face of an angel now playing really disturbed people on American TV. There you go. And time will tell, obviously, which way he goes. Certainly an ever-evolving journey and one that we are continuing to enjoy to take on Marvel's The Punisher. Pete, we are so glad to have someone with us on the journey, a bunch of someones, and those are the people who support us on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. Not recruited, but nevertheless appreciated. Everybody who heads to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Fantastic Geek um, and decides to contribute, gets exclusive podcast content. And there's all sorts of levels you may pick depending on your comfortability after that. So thank you again, particularly at a time of year when the bill comes due. Always appreciated that people take a look and people continue to support us. And Pete, most appreciated of all, the number one thing is something that you don't even need Patreon for. It's getting in touch with you on Twitter. How could people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,645 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a variety of ways. Click on over to fantasticgeek.com. Email us at fantasticgeek at gmail.com. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH all one word. Like it today. For those listening to this on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we'll be back tomorrow with Runaways episode 103. If you're listening to us on the Punisher Podcast feed, Pete, when will we be back? We will be back on Monday for episode 105. So steaming away on both of those shows, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. starts a uh, little under a week now, Matt. Uh, we'll be doing that come Friday nights. We got the big two-parter to kick off the season on Friday, December 1st. So this will be the first time we will be active in three Marvel shows simultaneously. We've we've done the deuce a couple times. <laughs> uh, never three at once. So... Uh, intimidating but not daunting particularly with our listeners in our corner might mean slowing down the punisher pace just a tiny bit maybe just not, a little bit maybe not three <laughs> to four episodes a week but uh we'll we'll keep on coming uh across every venue so with that pete i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word there's a a, a dead man in a wheelbarrow out there <laughs>